Hi, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Miranda. Welcome to Women Don't Do That. In this episode, we discuss my conversation with fitness coach Alita Steele. And my conversation with self-care coach Gracie Obuhovich. We have so much to discuss, so let's dive in. Well, Stephanie, I don't know if you realize, but this is episode number 10. Can't believe we're there already. That's very exciting. Mm, yeah. So I thought we would just do a little pat on our backs for <laughs> this far. Yeah, this tiny milestone. And it's been lots of fun and we're making lots of progress, lots of mistakes and learning lots. We're on to something good and I look forward to where we go from here. Me too. Today we are talking about two fantastic conversations that we had. You did a two-part conversation with uh, Unitary Fitness CEO and fitness coach Alita Steele that just was so meaty and authentic. And I loved the conversation that the two of you had. And I had a conversation recently with self-care coach, uh, author, and group facilitator, Gracie Obuhovich. And so we're going to reflect on some of the themes that came out of those conversations today. I wanted to kick things off, Miranda, by talking about one of the themes that came out of your interview with Gracie, which is the idea of putting ourselves first. And you wrote a blog post about this this week based on your conversation with her. And one of the things she says is what's good for me is good for everybody. And I could tell by your reaction in the interview, you I forget what you said, but it was something like, I love that. So can you tell me what that means for you? It is a bit of a surprising thing to hear, right? Like it's sort of in a way you're like, huh, what, what, what's good for me is good for everybody. Are you sure about that? And so it's something I've been thinking about a lot. And to me, it means that when I take care of myself, I am best able to take care of those around me in meaningful ways and have healthy relationships with the people in my life. And actually, Rachel Hollis, I'm sure she's not the first one to make this analogy, but she has this excellent analogy where she talks about a vase on a table. And if you fill the vase with water and you keep pouring in, then the vase starts to overflow and it can give from the overflow. But if the vase is always tipping itself over and giving what's inside of it, it runs empty and it has nothing else to give. And so I think this idea of what's good for me is good for everybody is this idea of when we fill ourselves up, when we do the inner work, like what Alita talked about doing the inner work, then we strengthen ourselves and we have so much more to give and we can give from this place. We can give from this inner wealth that we have created as opposed to just forcing it, pushing it, running on empty. I've noticed the way I relate to my kids, the way I relate to my husband is so much more positive when I am taking the time to put myself first and ensure that I'm healthy and in a good place. One of the things I struggle with, even listening to your conversation, is trying to get away from that feeling and those thoughts that run through your head that that it's selfish to act that way. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Like when you just spoke about that analogy of uh, the vase, like it's, it's so true yet. It's something that is really hard to take on an action. And when, 
you know, men maybe find it easier to do things like that. You can see how they are able to thrive in other parts of their life. And and to be honest, it, it's basic sense, right? Like if you don't get enough sleep or you're not living a healthy lifestyle where you're not taking some of that time for yourself, whether it's to meditate or exercise or otherwise, you just can't give to others. So yet it's so hard to do. Mm -hmm. Even as I was writing that blog post, the revolutionary idea of women putting ourselves first, I was really uncomfortable. And I actually thought, this is a little bit embarrassing to write about. It just feels so counterculture, I guess, in some ways, right? To say, I put myself first. And when I found the quote from Michelle Obama, it actually made me feel so much better because I was like, okay, well, she is clearly somebody who values helping others. She values a life of public service. There's no doubt that she's accomplished tremendous things, you know, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on. She's certainly worked really hard to improve the quality of other people's lives. And yet she does so from this position of, I have to fill my own well. I have to take my care of myself first, or I'm not going to be able to really do this work in a, in a meaningful, healthy way without burning out. So I, I think that when we have these conversations, it is so important because it helps us to think in a new way and it gives ourselves permission to set up these boundaries in our life and to aspire to live that way. I think for somebody like me, I think a huge part of the way I live my life was always wanting to help and support others. And I think that as you're talking, it's making me think about if I can fill my tank, then I can actually do that better. Like it's not mm -hmm. selfish. It's not taking away from those things. It will actually allow me to not only then take care of myself and live a happy, healthy life, but actually take care of others better as well. So I like that mindset. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that it is actually selfish when you aren't taking care of yourself, because in that way, you are expecting other people to behave in a way that keeps you happy. Right. That is actually a truly selfish way to live. When I'm looking at my kid and saying, you're not meeting my expectations right now. You are not demonstrating the excellent parenting that I am working so hard at. That's actually really selfish because he's not here to meet some need in me. That's not fair to him that I'm not going to behave calmly you know, with patience and kindness if he doesn't behave a certain way. So when I had that shift, that was really helpful to me also to mm -hmm. see that if I don't meet my own needs, that means I'm expecting other people to do that. And that's actually truly selfish. Meeting your own needs is a really unselfish way to live. Actually taking care of yourself, filling your own take. That's a gift that you give to the people in your life. Yeah. And I think exactly what you said, it's like that cultural mind shift, but it's as you describe it the way that you did, it's just so important and, and such a difference it could make in so many people's lives if we could actually implement it. I wanted to bring in a comment from Kaylin from Toronto who said, loved this episode with Gracie. It's such a good episode. It was filled with helpful tips and was a great reminder for us all on how we need to take the time to care for ourselves. I sent it to one of my friends. We are always sharing ideas for self-care with each other, so I knew she'd like it. Yay, I love that comment. I'm so glad she enjoyed it, and uh, we hope others did as well. If you haven't listened to it, it's episode number nine. What's good for you is good for everybody. And we would love to hear more feedback on it still, even though the reflection show has passed. If people are still struggling with that idea of putting themselves first 
or understanding, you know, that idea of not living in a selfish way, but taking care of yourself, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so I also want to talk, Stephanie, about your conversation with Alita, of course. I think there were so many good themes that came out of that. She just has such a story of perseverance and self-discovery, and it's really very empowering. And I love that she comes at fitness from this idea of taking care of the whole self. And again, it's that same idea of filling your own tank and having the energy that you need to live your best life. One of the things, as you said, that Alita does really well is the mindset work with regards to fitness. And I think that a lot of people don't look at it that way. And I've known Alita for a really long time. And I think spending that time prepping for the interview and then interviewing her helped me to see that in a different way because she will often ask you questions like, tell me why you're doing this. Tell me what kind of changes you're seeing in your life that aren't weight related, right? She's not just about the scale and the scale Mm -hmm. is only one part of fitness, right? If you're super strong and very muscular, you're actually getting heavier. So so she's very big on some of those other types of issues. And I never really realized until talking to her about how much of an impact doing that work can have on your fitness. Because so many of us do have the ability to lift weights or run or do whatever, but it's, it's actually doing it sometimes and sticking with it. And I think that's where the mental work comes in. Can we talk for a second about what Gracie said about our nervous system and how we get so used to and comfortable with a certain pattern of living that when we try to change it, there's actually something inside of us that is scared and rebels and actively tries to thwart our efforts. This was new to me, Stephanie. I didn't realize this, and I've actually been doing a lot of thinking and research about this since my conversation with Gracie, because I think it overlaps with what Alita was saying, and it connects to so to, to so many of our efforts to change our habits or you know to have growth and progress in our lives. How this really came, became more clear to me, because Gracie and I were talking about morning routines, right? And how you want to wake up earlier but if you have established this pattern of waking up at a certain time, then that's what your your body or your, she calls it your nervous system knows to be safe. That's what it trusts. No, no, no. We wake up at 730. This is the time that we wake up. This is good. This works for us. Don't try and change this. This is scary. Why doesn't the clock say 730? And so after having this conversation with her, I've actually been changing my self-talk a little bit. And this might be funny to some people, but I don't care. I'll just share it anyway because it's been really helpful to me okay, it's all right. We can wake up earlier. We're going to be okay. I'm going to make sure I get enough sleep. I'm still taking care of myself. This is safe. Actually talking to myself a little bit like a child. And it really has been helpful. And I've noticed that a little bit all the time, I feel safer and safer waking up at those earlier times. And so I think this connects so much to what Alita was talking about too, in that it's so hard. We get, we're so gung ho at first. We take these big steps and then there's something that stops us that stops our efforts. Yeah, absolutely. It's something I've definitely struggled with. You know, I continue to kind of get on that fitness journey and then fall off and I had been back on and then I got really sick with pneumonia. So when I am fully back to health, I look forward to trying to be more mindful about some of those mindset pieces that she talked about and implementing them. 
there's a lot of research out there too, which maybe goes along to what you were saying about the nervous system in terms of how long it takes to create a habit, right? So Mm -hmm. I forget the exact number, but it's something like 21 days, right? So it takes that long till something is consistent for you. And I think that's something important for us as we try new things to to try and stick with it because it's hard sometimes. Yeah, you have been experiencing some fairly significant health challenges. And I've been so proud of you because you have been taking the time to rest and take care of yourself, but you've also really found ways to keep going with the things that are a priority in your life. So it's impressive. And you just, you don't complain. <laughs> and I mean, maybe a little bit sometimes, and that's all right. You can complain to me. I'm a yeah, safe place. Probably say I do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. I had bruised my ribs from coughing so much. So most of my whining comes from uh, at night when I'm trying to sleep. It is getting better now, but it hurt to lay down. So that made it uh, a little bit challenging. And a good reminder that despite our best intentions, sometimes, like Alita said, life gets in the way, things happen, and you have to show yourself so much grace and just know that it's not your fault. You can't control it and you got to do the best with what's happening Uh, Before we move on from reflecting on your conversation with Alita, I want to share a comment from Laura in Ottawa. She says, Alita's story of perseverance and self-discovery was very empowering and not at all what I was expecting from a fitness coach. Her perspective about how women can and should be entrepreneurs in business, but also in all aspects of their lives was so insightful. It reminded me that no one need tackle life's challenges alone, and we often set ourselves up for disappointment and burnout if we try. Thank you, Laura from Ottawa, for that great comment. Alita has a lot to share. If people aren't following her on social media, she is constantly doing Facebook Live, where she gives encouraging messages and just shares what's on her mind. And I there are thousands of people actually that follow her and uh, would encourage others to as well because she's just so real. And so if you want to just gain some of her wisdom and, and have some real talk, she's a great person to connect with. Mm-hmm. We love amplifying the voices of positive, encouraging, honest, authentic women. It's just it's just great. There can't, there's, not, there's never going to be too many. Every woman who stands up and uses her voice is an asset to her community. So... Yay, Alita and Gracie. Continuing on the themes that we're discussing today, you recently wrote a blog post about how to Marie Kondo your mind, simple steps to improve mental health. You're someone that is very intentional and mindful and who has, uh, from my perspective, uh, some very healthy habits in terms of your mental health. And even though you have lived through tragedy, I wanted to talk about this because I believe that there are things that people can learn from those experiences that you've had. In this article that you had written, you talk about losing your 16-month-old son, Brody. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how did the mental work that you did help you in your healing journey? I think it is meaningful to be closing with this because one of the things that came out of your conversation with Alita that I love so much, Stephanie, was that you can have a better figure, you can do all the outside work, but if you don't do the work on the inside, you're just going to be the exact same person with a different body. And when I did lose my son two years ago, I I really felt at that time that there was just nothing but darkness, right? Like there was no point <laughs> in doing anything to take care of myself or anyone. Like you, you really feel as though like it's all over and it's hopeless. 
And so I had to just decide that despite that feeling, I was going to hold on to the belief that there was hope and that taking care of myself, you know, choosing to wake up in the morning with hope that there was a good, something good on the other side of that, of working through that. And I, I really do believe in doing that inner work. And I believe that, you know, all of the good food and, and good exercise and everything is as wonderful as it is, is just never going to be enough if you don't actually tackle the voices on the inside, if you don't actually really decide to take control of what's going on inside of you. And so it was a, it was a immense journey to go through that because of course there's just so many terrible thoughts in your head and they're grounded in something that actually happened. Whereas I think a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, but sometimes we're fighting fear that, you know, we use that analogy of false evidence appearing real, but when your child passes away, that really happened. And it's hard to tell yourself that the terrible things that you're thinking aren't true. It, and so what I began to do and what I explained in that article is I began to write about the, the journey and I began to write about the, the fears that I was facing and the thoughts in my head. And I shared a lot of those on, on a blog, Hope in My Heart. But some of it I just kept to myself as well. But I needed to do that because putting it all onto paper, I mean, I was typing, but writing it all out and seeing it helped to disarm it and helped to help me to assess if it was really serving me. And I think that's a question we always need to ask about our thoughts and, and the agreements that we have with ourselves. Is this serving me? Is this helping me to live the life I want to live? And if it's not, you need to believe that you can replace it. You need to believe that you don't have to hold on to that thought. And I know, I know from experience that that can be really challenging. And sometimes we even want, there's part of us that wants to keep those thoughts. They feel safe and we know them or they just feel right or they feel like we deserve them. I mean, I honestly thought at one point, like, I'll have to be sad for the rest of my life because Brody deserves that, right? Like, and, uh, and if I stop being sad, then I stop loving him. And so I had to tackle that. I had to recognize that he wants me to be happy right now. I don't, I'm not doing him any good to be sad. That's a lie. And we need to push through things like that. So I explain in the article, essentially, if we're looking at the KonMari method, you put all your clothes on the bed, for example, and you look at all your clothes and you see them for what they really are. And then you ask yourself, do I need this in my life? Is this bringing me joy? And if it's not, you say, thank you. And you, you put it aside and you, you, you move on. And I think we need to do that in our own minds and inside ourselves to really make sure that we know the thoughts that are controlling our actions and we know the deep beliefs of our heart because sometimes they're unconscious and we're not even paying attention to them and they have such an impact in how we live. I think when we start to pay attention to those things, you can really see how much they're impacting you. Thank you for sharing that. That uh, I just think there's so much that we can learn from your experience and and how you have handled yourself through the healing healing journey. It sounds easy enough to say, lay things out on the bed and discard the things, you know, from your head that aren't having positive thoughts or positive impacts on your life. It seems in practice that that would be hard to do. So is it continued positive self-talk? And just when those ideas come back, you continue to say, like, 
repeat certain mantras or, or what are some of the actual methods that you use? No, that's a great question. Cause yeah, it's not easy and it's not a quick fix. And I know for me, there's been experiences I've had even, you know, separate from the experience with Brody where I've had to tell myself, okay, that's over now. It doesn't matter anymore. And we're moving on from that. And I know there's been times when I have, like it's taken many, many months and probably saying that to myself, and I'm not exaggerating that this isn't hyperbole. Like I, I will actually come up with mantras sometimes that I will say to myself easily 50 times in a day. And you just say it again and again to yourself. No, that doesn't matter anymore. I don't have to think about that anymore. That doesn't matter anymore. And it will pop up again and again, and it will fight with you and it will fight for space in your mind. And you are the one who has to say, no, I don't want to think about that anymore. And then it is very helpful to come up with a positive thought to replace it or a truer thought, a better thought to replace it. Right. And then to say that after and to commit to thinking that new thing, but it isn't a quick fix. And honestly, it just takes commitment to believe that however long it takes I mean, let's say it takes you a year and let's say it takes you repeating it a hundred times a day. That's a long time, but how worth it is it after that year is over to then not have that event have power in your life anymore? And I also think sometimes the shame of an experience can be worse than the experience itself. And Brene Brown, who's this phenomenal researcher, you know, she has a Netflix special. Now, if people haven't found her, they can find her there. And she's written phenomenal books. But I think it's in her book, Daring Greatly. She talks about how the shame of an experience can actually be worse than the experience itself. And I've never experienced sexual abuse. But she gives that as an example, that of course, sexual abuse is horrible. But sometimes even just the shame of it, and not being able to talk about it and give words to it can just eat at people and really destroy their lives. And And I think when we are willing to put words to things and when we can start to share them with a therapist or with a a very close friend that's safe with, that is when we can disempower those events and those, and those thoughts. So yeah, I, I don't think there are quick fixes for these very challenging things that we go through in life, but I do believe that there is always hope. I do believe that there is. Well, even just how you described how many times a day it could take you, I think is helpful because in my head, I just want to say it once and have it go away. And so it's helpful to know also that that's other people are experiencing the same thing, right? Like if it keeps popping up in my head, it's not that I'm not doing the work, but it takes work, right? So mm-hmm. uh, so I think that is really important to talk about. And thank you for, for sharing some of your personal experience. I, I know that others will learn from that. I wanted to close by talking about our next interview. And our next podcast is with a lawyer, entrepreneur, and mother, Sarah Fort. And Sarah talks to us about her struggles with ambition. And it's very interesting because she talks about becoming and embracing how she became an entrepreneur and even just saying the word entrepreneur out loud. So she talks about that, which is really interesting. She is an employment lawyer and she shares her expertise with us. And in the era of Me Too, it's a fascinating conversation. She breaks it down to the ideas of what is sexual harassment? How can you handle it at work, whether you're an employer or an employee? Uh, What should we do about that as a bystander? You know, what are the other things we need to do around the Me Too movement? And sometimes I think hearing somebody like her 
you can actually look back and say, oh, like I had some of that experience, or I guess I should have done this differently, or there's a lot to, to learn from listening to that interview. So I hope that people will really enjoy it. It's, it's a fascinating conversation. I think it's so relevant for the current culture of women in the workplace and any woman who's working. And, and even if you're not, I mean, it's certainly a reflection of what's going on in society today. But certainly if you're a woman in the workforce, I think there's some very practical advice and just reflection on how the relationship working with men is been affected by the Me Too movement. That's something that's really important to be aware of as well. So yes, it's a great conversation. And that will be our next episode that people can watch for next week. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Women Don't Do That. As always, we hope to see you throughout the week on our blog at womendontdothat.com. Keep in touch with us on social media and please subscribe, leave us a comment and a review. We look forward to you joining us next time. Bye-bye. Bye.